Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to Bears Over Fears. I'm Jeff Perkins, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, Bears are three and five, not looking too good, but Justin Fields looked pretty good, and we've got a primetime game against the Steelers coming up. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, despite everything that went on today, we're recording this uh, on a Wednesday, and there there was just a lot. Today was just a lot, but despite that, I'm fine. I'm looking forward to the game. Uh, and we have a fantastic guest to preview uh, the Steelers game. And our guest is the senior editor of NFL Sites with USA Today and the founder of the NFL Wire Network, a lifelong Steelers fan, Neil Kulong. Neil, welcome to the show. And how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Neil, you mentioned that you were a Minnesota native, but you didn't gravitate towards the Vikings. And I said that you saved yourself a lot of heartbreak, but I didn't ask you, why did you choose the Steelers over the Vikings? Uh, it, my, my whole family is from Pittsburgh. Uh, I was born in Pittsburgh. I, I lived here as a, a very young kid before we moved around a little bit. My dad's job got transferred uh, a couple times. We ended up in the Twin Cities area. That's where I grew up. That That's probably more home. Uh, than Pittsburgh is. I live in Pittsburgh now. Um, I came out here for for different reasons six, seven years ago. Um, it, Steelers, Steelers football is a, it's a culture. I know how cheesy and cliche that sounds, and that's probably what they're going to talk about in the, the intro on Monday night. But it really is the the product of a, a generation of of people, workers in particular, who moved out of the the Pittsburgh area when a lot of the the jobs, a lot of the work what it's known for the steel production and everything that went away probably before the, the Steelers even became a good football team. It was gone and people left the area in, in, in large numbers and they resettled across the country in various different places. Uh, one thing that those, those families all took, and I was raised in a family like this, it, what, what they took away was the culture of Pittsburgh. And a huge part of that in the seventies, I was born at the end of the seventies is Steeler football. You know, when they finally got good, they were terrible for like 40 years. You think the Browns of the last 20 years were bad. The Steelers were awful until uh, 1971 when they started building into, to, you know, the, the dynasty that they would have in that uh, in that decade. But it, it, that is something that I think it, all of the families raised their kids on. And that that's a product of the generation that I'm in. I'm, I'm one of, you know, there, there are literally hundreds of thousands of Steelers fans who don't live anywhere close to Pittsburgh. Uh, I came back to Pittsburgh, and you definitely see a difference between uh, fans who are not from Pittsburgh and the ones who are <laughs> the one the, the natives. Um, it, they're they're a lot more used to it. They get it. The ones who are out are from out of town are the most loyal, appreciative fans you're ever going to meet. Because, like me, I grew up without the ability to watch the Steelers on a week to week basis, and a huge part of my fandom. And I've tried to incorporate this with my daughter to to various levels of success. My dad would, uh, he'd buy us treats and snacks and stuff and let us stay up to watch the, the Steelers when they were on Monday night. When they played on uh, the, the, the local game, when we could see them, it was a huge deal. So that there was a, a there's such a huge amount of family that goes into um, the, the fandom of the Steelers. And, and I, I see it very similarly uh, with the Pirates, how anybody can root for the Pirates is beyond me. And the, the Penguins, a team that, that has success now, they they like it's it's a literally a cultural phenomenon here you, you, people don't really understand that outside of the area not to say that chicago is any different I, I love chicago i think it's a great town great fans um but by and large pittsburgh is just different it, it's really unique in that sense and people uh, it really kind of ride and die with with the sports teams here and the steelers are the biggest 
And you guys chose one, uh, you know, color scheme, black and yellow, and you just stuck with it with all your sports. And, you know, your, your, so your closets are probably pretty boring. But, you know, hey, like it, it also makes so that you can kind of mix and match and, and go to any game, uh, depending on who, what you got. Well, they got the you're, you're going to wear a Pirates hat with uh, probably your, your Penguins jacket and your Steelers jersey. You know, yeah, yeah. heaven forbid you get hit by a car and the paramedic doesn't know you're from Pittsburgh. You know, that's, <laughs> that's just the law, the way that, that, uh, Pittsburgh fans are. But I, I, I can I can make fun of that because I'm, I'm a part of it and I'm on the outside of it. When I came back here in, in 2014, the one thing that I noticed the most was everybody wears team gear. Pitt is right. in that as well. The 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 college, mm-hmm. um, it, everybody has that that sense of civic pride, and maybe right. it's a Minneapolis thing. We don't really care a whole lot in Minneapolis. We kind of want to be away from people. You think you wouldn't because how cold it is. You can warm up if you're closer, but they're they're not nearly as as open uh, in in the upper Midwest, in my opinion, uh, in comparison to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, you know very quickly uh, how diehard of a fan that they are. And it's not like they're always excited. They're usually mad. They usually hate the play call. They usually hate the star player. Whatever it is, they, they've got a gripe. They've got you know something to do um, about whatever it is that's going on. And that, that's that's kind of an East Coast thing. And Pittsburgh, I'll argue, yeah. is, is much more of a Midwestern town than it is an East Coast team, but or an East Coast city. But you have that that same kind of mentality. Again, it, it's ride or die with everything. When they're winning you couldn't possibly keep them away. You'll you'll see PNC Park for a, 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 a baseball franchise that treats its fans so badly in so many different ways. If the Pirates put together a winning team by August next year, there's no way in the world that'll happen. But if that were to happen, that stadium would be sold out every night, and that would be the talk of the town. People are, are so devoted to a team that, honestly, it feels like they're trying to lose on a yearly basis. They're they're all super devoted to everything related to Pittsburgh, and sports is really the biggest part of that. It, it's been uh, it, it it's been a cultural experience as far as as what my parents grew up with uh, compared to, to what I live with now, um, where I've been. People don't wear the gear anywhere else as often as they do here. It's literally one out of every three people that you run into, and it, this sounds bad, but men and women. Okay, where I'm from, the women really don't get into sports nearly as much. Uh, here, it, it's the same thing. It doesn't really make a difference. They're all into it, and they all—it's it, it, like a, a responsibility that they have. They have to know what's going on. They have to be able to weigh in on everything. They—they they take a lot of pride in it, and it makes it—it uh, it, it makes Sunday evenings sometimes the best nights you've ever had, and sometimes the absolute worst. So I, I chose the right profession uh, to to get into to to experience the the highs and the lows of a of a fan base. That's awesome. So uh, as Bears fans, we're in a bit of a low right now. And to help us through that, we uh, bring on beers. And so EJ and I are going to crack one so that we can get through this conversation. Um, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, I, uh, Lake Time Brewery. It's an Iowa brewery. Uh, I've, I've brought some of their offerings on before. I'm bringing on a JB beer because I can't let EJ out JB me. So this no. is a peanut butter and banana stout. <laughs> nice little, uh, nice little can art there with a with an elephant and little monkeys there. So anyway, I'm excited about uh, peanut butter banana stout. Oh, if only monkeys hadn't been in the news lately. I saw this. <laughs> I saw this, and I said, "Oh, EJ is going to love that I bring this on." I I am. It's it's true to type. Yeah. It's I I I've had a very sort of upsetting day with lots of new and weird news, and now I can just settle back in, put the loafers on, the comfortable sweater, and JB's got his beer. I'm all good. Um, I went for color matching. We talked about all the colors being the same, so I brought on a black and yellow beer because nice. hey, it's Pittsburgh week. But um, this is fun stuff. It's called Old Engine Oil. It's a black ale, six percent. Uh, comes from Scotland. Uh brewery that is very new for scotland 1983 actually the 1900s um but it's fantastic my only gripe about this beer is like many beers that come from the uk it's 11 and a half ounces and i just can't help but feel shorted yeah they they took their tax right (laughs) yeah no it's fantastic stuff but uh viscous chocolatey roasty good old engine oil so uh black and yellow uh in deference to the opponents this week but yeah let's crack these open and get going i like that i like the color scheme and if you guys want to buy us a beer of course uh head on over to our patreon that would be great if you uh check us out there and are interested 
Uh, we are going to give away our first, uh, do our first giveaway this month and have our first uh, happy hour here coming up. So um, let's get into the Steelers. So my first question to you is about the zombified form of Ben Roethlisberger, who I cannot believe came back to play football in 2021 because he looked terrible down the stretch of 2020. This year is much the same. His adjusted yards per attempt, which I think is an excellent uh, measure of, of how a quarterback's playing, his QBR, his QB rating, all of those things are at or near his career low. But the Steelers are somehow four and three. I don't know how they do it. So is Ben actually helping this team win and just doing, or is he just doing just enough to keep them competitive? I think Ben, the, the best trait that Ben is giving the Steelers right now is that he's not losing them games. He, he isn't turning the ball over a whole lot, though he's he's had that uh, pretty poor performance, in my opinion, against Cincinnati in a loss. I think he had two interceptions in that game and a fumble maybe. Uh, it, it, he's not playing perfectly for, for sure. He, he's absolutely not within maybe even the top 14 quarterbacks in the AFC right now. Uh, it, what he is doing is controlling the ball and controlling the game. He looks more like a, a pitch-to-contact type of pitcher. And with it, the team is having to build what it can around it. This is not a team that, that does a whole lot in terms of explosive plays. Uh, Roethlisberger's deep ball, it, the arguments about whether he has the arm strength to do it is that you can go on all night talking about that. He's not accurate down the field. Chase Claypool probably by all rights should be a big player on the outside. He, he should be a guy to go up and, and make big plays outside the numbers. He really doesn't seem to be very good at that. Maybe it's the quarterback getting him the ball. You're not entirely sure, but they're not making a, a ton of splash plays. Now I say that the second half of what they've seen so far They've hit a few more of those, which is to say they might have one, maybe two a game. There are teams that get six or seven of those a game. Uh, it, it's not the Steelers. They, they're not an explosive offense. But we're seeing an offensive line that was fairly maligned all offseason and might have even been worse the first couple games of the season than anybody could have anticipated. They were an absolute disaster. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but um, they're starting left tackle. I, I I'm saying this on Wednesday. I'm not 100% sure that he's going to start this week. But uh, Dan Moore, their fourth-round draft pick out of Texas A&M, is the only uh, left tackle to start in week one of his rookie season drafted in the fourth round or later since probably before the, the modern era of the NFL. That's how long ago it was where a guy – taken that far down in the draft, had to start in week one. He had to do that due to injury. But to me, I start off with that just to show this is what the Steelers had to do to put a team on the field this year. The injury uh, to Zach Banner, uh, a, a guy who tore his ACL in September last season, he was their starting right tackle. It forced the veteran Chuk Sikorafor, uh from what he was supposed to play, left tackle, back to right, which is what he played last year. And they had to put Dan Moore in at left because Moore really doesn't have any experience on the right side. And they needed a left tackle. That's a great spot to be in, in, you know, heading into week one. Let me tell you how great that's been. And poor Dan Moore. The kid plays his butt off, but he's getting he's getting worked. I mean, it's it's bad. Um, I, I'm not sure. Maybe you guys are, are more into uh, pro football focus than I am. But I've never seen a player score zero before. That was Dan Moore last week against Miles Garrett. And you know what? He earned it. <laughs> he absolutely earned that grade. His his pass rushing grade was a 0.0. I don't know if I've seen that or not, but um, he's not ready to play. You know, he, he's trying. It's not an ideal situation for anybody. But when you have that, uh, that that's your that's your bookend, you know, protector. That's your blindside protector. He's not stopping water from running uphill right now. Roethlisberger... The, the fact that he only has two injuries that they list every single week is, is pretty remarkable for as, as many hits as he took early on. Um, it really, a game against Buffalo, um, Green Bay was in there, Cincinnati, uh, uh, Las Vegas. They Ben got beat up early, but they've done a great job in rebounding around those failures and getting better. They also have a, a rookie center, Kendrick Green. You guys might know him in, in the Chicagoland area. Um, pretty rough to start. He's kind of showing flashes of mediocrity now. You're 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 seeing an up, upward trend with him. That's good. Uh, but you're starting two rookies on your offensive line, and they were taken in the third and fourth round. These aren't premium guys, you know. Marquise Pouncey isn't walking through that door. David DeCastro isn't walking through that door. They had to replace uh, long-term, long-standing veterans, uh, quality leaders on the team, and good football players. So their protection was, in my opinion now, uh, overall – 
it, it should have been a lot worse than it has been the last couple of weeks. And that's a huge win for the Steelers because of that. Roethlisberger has some time to use the one thing he does have. He's always been, honestly, one of the more underrated cerebral quarterbacks in the game. He's a very smart guy. He delivers the ball where it should go, um, except when he's, you know, kind of playing John Wayne out there and, and wants to, to find whatever challenges on the field and try to beat whoever's out there. He doesn't have that bullet to fire anymore. So because of that, he, he makes smart decisions in, in a shorter passing game, and it's allowing them to hold on to the ball a little bit longer. Um, Matt Canada is their, their first-year offensive coordinator. I think he's done a good job mixing things up. Um, he, he puts a, a pretty – a good amount of variety within the, the the play calls that they have. And keep in mind, they're not working 20 yards down the field. They really don't have those options. So he has to get everything on a, on a wide field, which isn't easy to do in the NFL on a, a snap-to-snap basis. They have to pick their their time, their opportunities to do different things. And I think they've, they've done a much better job of that the last couple of weeks. And that is helping Ben uh, stay fresh, you know, as long as he, he is able to make good decisions with the ball – they're staying ahead of the chains and they're possessing it a little bit. But here we are in Pittsburgh celebrating a, a, a game in which their their kicker got destroyed at the end of the first half. They, they couldn't kick the ball in the second half and they scored 15 points. And we're talking about how great of an offensive game it was. The bar isn't set very high in Pittsburgh anymore. So um, they're, they're getting by with it now. They're getting by with it. I, I say that with a huge amount of caution because, frankly, it's going to be week to week. I don't know what you're going to get in, on Monday night. I really don't. I'm feeling like Spider-Man meme. Yeah, pointing, pointing, <laughs> I was going right? to say, like was... so a lot of the stuff you're talking about is very familiar to us on the Chicago side. Lots of offensive line combinations, guys who are not ready for prime time being forced into roles where they do not perform quarterbacks getting beat up because they have less than two seconds to throw. Um yeah, there's there's a lot of that. So some similarities for sure. Some of that, uh, hey, I know you, uh, sort of feeling. <laughs> Your quarterback's twenty two. Well, there's that's the difference, right? Yeah, that's the difference. Slight difference. But Latavius yeah. Pig Simmons got a zero PFF pass. Really? You know, is grade. that common? Does that happen? It, it's not First common, but it. you know, there is a name for it. You know, anybody that's a fan of Animal House, that's the Blue Tarski. <laughs> the Blue Tarski. That is zero point zero, Mister Blue Tarski. <laughs> You're right? at the top of the Delta Pledge class. <laughs> yeah, in deck exactly. So rough. Uh, yeah, rough indoctrination for a lot of the players. But um, talking about the receivers that Ben's throwing to, Deontay Johnson currently leads the team in targets and catches, not Chase Claypool, as you alluded to. Um, is that a surprise to you? And what would you say the current pecking order in the wide receiver core in Pittsburgh is based on all those things you just laid out? Well, here, here's where it gets really fun with Pittsburgh. Let's keep in mind, Chase Claypool missed a game. Um, Deontay Johnson did as well. So between the two of them, if, if you look at it on a per-game basis, their numbers are probably a bit higher And on a, on a per-game basis. They're, they're going to be a little bit higher than what their averages are going to show. But the two of them have had kind of their 13-plus their target games. They've traded that kind of back and forth. Here's the thing, though. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster went down with a, a busted, messed-up shoulder. He's going to be out for the year. He didn't eat up a ton of targets, but what he did was play inside, which is a position that neither Claypool nor Johnson played. In the the scheme of your receivers, if you're playing what the Steelers do with an X, Y, and a Z, your your slot guy is always playing in the slot, and that was Juju. Um, Deontay is more of your Y, your your guy that can go on or off the line. He can move around a bit. But The thing is, you don't put the Z on the same side as the X. So Claypool and Johnson never played on the same side together. Now, that, that's one thing. Now, with Juju out, you're looking at either moving a, a budding, it should be a physical freak anyway, a, a budding superstar in Chase Claypool. He's six foot five. He's about 225 now. He's slimmed down a bit from where he was in college, but he's still an athletic freak. A guy that, that frankly, he's built to be an ex receiver in the NFL. They're talking about moving him inside. And part of that is because something called Ray Ray McLeod is otherwise their slot receiver. Have you ever heard of him? Yep. I just found out today, hand to God, he was a draft pick. Somebody drafted that guy. It's true. I, I don't know what Buffalo was thinking. Different regime back then, I think. They've, they've had some success since then, fortunately for them. Um, Ray Ray McLeod is not a guy that you want getting a lot of snaps on offense. I, I think the Steelers know that. So they're trying to incorporate Claypool into the slot. 
But with that, you're, you're teaching him new routes, you're teaching him new reads, and he's never played alongside uh, uh, Johnson. So there, there's kind of an acclimation period, I think, going on there. Uh, Claypool is probably going to be down in targets a bit uh, as they're building it up. But Claypool in the slot, he's a beast. I mean, he's a big dude. He runs he runs your slants and your skinnies a lot better than he runs flies, as odd as that seems. He's a big body, and he's a monster after the catch. So they're, they're looking to get him the ball in space. He can make a guy miss in the open field, and he can run for a while after that too. So it, it, I, I see positive things coming with that, but it's also a process. You know, Claypool does the wrong thing. He cuts the wrong way. It's an interception. And certainly I think that the past history of the Steelers in, 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 as favorites over Chicago, it comes down to turnovers. Ben Roethlisberger turnovers have really been the reason why Chicago's won the last three in that series. And they were underdogs, I think, all three of those times. You can't have a guy like Claypool screw something like that up. You, you just can't. And they they tend to do that against Chicago for whatever reason more than other people. But it, a large part of the challenge they're going to have is you either figured out with Claypool the vastly superior physical talent, or you're going to have to have McLeod on the field for 40 snaps which not even including his, his punt return gaffes, it, that that's not a good thing for, for the Steelers. So it's something to watch there is how much Claypool is going to be on the inside versus outside opposite the line from Johnson, which really means the presence of Ray Ray McLeod on the field. Yeah. Um, I'm scared to death of, of Claypool uh, getting guarded by Kendall Vildor or Duke Shelley. Um, so we will see how Chicago tries to uh, counteract that with, with Jayla Johnson. They've got one good corner to put on either one of those guys, and I'm not sure how they're going to deploy him. But I want to talk about your running back because everybody knew that the Steelers were going to draft Najee Harris in the first round, but everybody said, why are the Steelers drafting Najee Harris in the first round? So with all of the question marks, you've already talked about it, with all the question marks in the offensive line and an aging quarterback that doesn't seem to want to go away, why did the Steelers go that direction? Did that surprise you? It didn't surprise me. Um, it surprised – it probably didn't surprise a whole lot of people. It pissed a lot of people off. I know that. Um, I will say this. You have a team that is in the, the very – unfortunate and undesirable position of being uh you have a 24th overall pick in the first round and you have a roster that as constructed should be drafting like 10 or 11. The roster was not good okay the offensive line they added pieces to the offensive line i can't even tell you what they had before that i mean it, it was a mess two guys retired or well i shouldn't say retired one retired one was too hurt to you know earn his contract so they cut him and he still hasn't played i don't think he's officially retired yet but they they needed to overhaul their entire offensive line and on top of that i i have said this since january if not earlier they had maybe two of the the five worst position groups in the nfl last season and it was not their offensive line their running backs were terrible their tight ends were probably worse between Eric Ebron and Vance McDonald, who was playing on like half a leg last year, I don't think I've seen a team with worse tight ends than what the Steelers had. And their running backs were garbage as well. So, yeah, I mean, they, they need offensive linemen, but they need tight ends and they need running backs. They had more needs than they had picks. They couldn't really do anything else. And you're talking about drafting 24 overall. What quarterback were you going to take? You know, Fields is kind of kind of gone. I bet if Justin Fields was on the board at 24 – they, they might have pulled the trigger. They couldn't move up to, to where Chicago did. They, they weren't going to be able to do that. You're, you're talking about, and I'm rambling right now because I'm trying to think of these guys' names. I, I really honestly don't remember. The kid from Florida that I think the Bucks drafted. Trask. I don't know if he's even Kyle, dressed yet. He's Kyle not Trask. a solution. Yeah, Trask. He's not a solution to anything. Did you guys watch Kellen Mond play with the Vikings? Yeah. I, it's amazing he's even in the NFL. He's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, he's a he's a great physical prospect. That's why he goes in the third round. But if if he had some quarterbacking ability, he would have gone in the first round. That that's that's kind of the upside and the downside with a guy like that. The Steelers weren't able to find anybody at twenty four uh, that they absolutely needed to have that filled a need uh, better than Najee Harris at running back. And I understand the advanced analytics and how people trash it, especially fantasy football players. You, you don't like the idea of a running back because he doesn't have value. I'll tell you what, Benny Snell doesn't have a whole lot of value either. Okay. You need to put somebody in there that can actually play. And you, you weren't getting that in Pittsburgh. 
beyond that, it, as you guys know, Tevin Jenkins was probably the next best offensive lineman at that point. Tevin Jenkins, to be honest, for, for me, I think he, I would have probably had him at guard. I'm not even sure he's a long-term tackle. I get if you draft him in, in uh, you know, first, second round, you probably want him at, at tackle, but I, I think he would have been just as good of, as a guard. So I, I'm not saying that that would, was a bad pick by Chicago by any stretch. I'm not saying that he's a bad prospect, but you're talking about a team that lacks anything resembling the ability to run the football. You're talking about a, a, a COVID-shortened college season, a lack of availability of medicals and tape across the board throughout the entire prospect pool last year. What's Pittsburgh's mindset? Let's take the experienced guy who's been playing on the big stage, who does everything that we need a guy to come in here and do, and let's give him the ball 300 times next year because we need somebody to do that. Harris fits the bill for that. On top of that, there's one tight end who's worth a first-round pick in this draft, and he's the super freak that's going to go in the top five. Beyond that, this Pat Fryermuth kid from Penn State is probably the second-best tight end, and he's not going at 24. He's not going at 25, 26. He's probably going to be there for them in the second round. So we got two major needs taken care of right away. You know, again, we're not talking about a five-year plan for the Steelers. They have to fill a team last year. They, they in, in the draft, they didn't have anybody. So now you have a starting running back, eventually a starting tight end, which is where Frymouth is now. You need a starting center in the third round. And as it turns out, you need your left tackle in the fourth round because no team has done that in 50 years. That, that's not a team that, that has the luxury of saying, well, expected points tell you that he's not going to give you any value. They need somebody that isn't Benny Snell in the backfield, okay? It's that simple. Vance McDonald couldn't have filed his retirement papers fast enough. They didn't have anybody else to play tight end next to Eric Ebron, who really isn't a tight end anyway. I, I don't know what else, other direction they go in. You lay all of it out. Harris makes the most sense of a, a really rough situation. They, they were they were in a tough spot. It, it's really that simple. But I think Harris does fill a need. Um, there are things about him I like. There's stuff that I don't like. Um, he's, he's doing well right now. He's not a big game back or a big uh, playback. But he's going to do a lot of things for you. They're going to help you win games. And they needed to find guys that could do that. That's why Harris was their guy. Uh, the results on this draft, to be honest, with the Steelers right now are fantastic. They've, they've done a great job uh, developing the players that they've had and saving what I thought was going to be, uh, at best, a 7-10 and 10 season. They might do better than that now. That, that's, uh, that's impressive in my mind. The draft class was solid. The players they got, you know, Fryermuth, I think you're right, clearly – the number two tight end. And honestly, if we're talking about pure tight ends, probably the number one tight end in this draft because Pitts is Pitts is a unicorn. Uh, he's he's like Claypool, but bigger. Um, so, you know, they got good players. Najee Harris, great player, great pedigree, much better receiver, I think, than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, he's advanced in that area. He's not going to get Ben killed, right? That's not if he's if he's running chips, he knows how to block. So not a bad pick and and down the line i think people might let off on the fact that he was a first round running back just because he is going to be a solid player that does contribute the um, answer is he was taken at 24 overall you know i i understand how many hall of fame players that there were around him drafting at that spot in in, in the draft but it's the bottom third of the draft sometimes you just need to go get a dude that you need you know sometimes it, it's as simple as that the, the mid-round running back myth I know doesn't work for everybody the way it worked for the Saints seven years ago when they got Kamara, whenever that was. You, you've got Benny Snell. You've got Jalen Samuels, James Conner. All of these guys have shown at one point or another that they might have some ability. And Conner is, is a decent NFL player. He just can't play more than 11 games a year. They needed a guy that they could play on three downs who gave them a good sense that he's going to be available for 17 games. That's what they got. And if that's not, you know, the, the right pick, I don't know who was, to be honest with you. And it, it, if they're running Benny Snell, uh, you know, on, on pace for 300 carries or whatever uh, Sam, or uh, uh, whatever Najee's at right now, they're not four and three. <laughs> OK, yeah. I know that they're, they're not doing a whole lot with with that low of talent at that position. Let me flip it to the defense, Neil. So everybody knows T.J. Watt. Obviously, they know T.J. Watt because of J.J. Watt, but T.J. Watt is a heck of a player himself. He might be a defensive player of the year candidate, and he looks great already. I think he's already up to eight and a half sacks. 
Minka Fitzpatrick's probably a guy that most people know about. Excellent free safety, probably one of the best, if not the best in the league. Who else is on this defense that makes this thing run? Like, who else is, are the guys that Bears fans should know and be worried about for the Monday night game? To be honest with you, the one guy that you should be talking about, even ahead of TJ Watt, is Cam Hayward. Um, in my opinion, I don't know if there's a defensive player who's playing better all around right now than Cam Hayward is. Um, TJ Watt's a fine player, certainly no, no knock against him at all, but it, the, the team MVP is the guy that has to play basically two positions and play as two players the way that he has, and that that's Hayward. Um, Stefan Tuitt is supposed to be playing defensive end. Tyson Alulu is supposed to be playing nose tackle. Neither of those players are available for him. Uh, Tuitt hasn't dressed yet. He's been on injured reserve since uh, the rosters were announced. Alulu went down, I think, what, in week two? He hasn't played. Uh, he's got something called Isaiah Bugs playing next to him. I'm pretty sure you guys have never heard of him. He's not not an everyday NFL guy. Um, Chris Warmly is a, a, a good veteran player who stepped up, but he's not at to its level. And for Hayward to be making the plays that he is, to, to be grading out the way he is, uh, game in and game out, doing the things that he's doing, you're you're watching a dominant NFL player. And you're going to see him. Uh, I, I would honestly, it's like, it's like we're exchanging what restaurants to go to when we're visiting each other's town. If there's one player on the Steelers, I would want Bears fans to watch. It's Cam Hayward. And if you love watching football, you're going to love watching Cam Hayward. He's a, he's a beast. Absolutely. He's a dominant player who does not get nearly as much recognition as he should. Um, if, if he were to be hurt right now, I think the Steelers legitimately white might win one more game this season. And that's only because they play Detroit after they play Chicago. Yeah. Well, I'll just read my next question. Given that, uh, is Cam Hayward the most underappreciated defensive superstar in the league? Because I knew I should have kept this up. Sorry. No, <laughs> it was it's all to all set this good. up. It's all, good all right. Because you went right for it. Full agreement. Cam Hayward is the guy in the NFL that, nowhere near enough fans watch know or talk about he is playing at the level of aaron donald with about a third of the press and again with less overall talent especially after this week around him and he does it week after week he does it year after year he's been incredibly consistent productive explosive everything you need from a defensive superstar and people just don't say his name a lot do you have any explanation for that he doesn't get the he doesn't get the kind of sacks that make highlights um he, he doesn't have endorsements because of the position that he plays and i don't think people understand it, you understand tj watt you understand you know hand placement getting past a tackle you understand that one-on-one -on -one battle that you get the edge rusher versus the tackle. You, you see that easily in the, the regular TV footage. And probably, you know, there are hardcore fantasy players that understand the value of, of sacks. I'm sure they're they're scored pretty well. Hayward plays two different positions. He plays your, your kind of quintessential um, five technique in, in a three-four alignment, which isn't all that common. What he really plays is a, a four-eye, which is kind of on the outside shade of the guard. He looks more like an interior defensive lineman. He's an all pro at both of those positions if you were to give him out. But the problem is you've got pure pass rushers playing defensive tackle nowadays, and you've got pure pass rushers playing defensive end. You know, your, your edge rushers, which has become its own position, it, it takes away from the, the pure ability of a guy like Hayward and the, the pure production that he had. I, I hate to, to stray into this, but you look at uh, uh, Richard Seymour, for example, mm -hmm. from, from the previous generation. Dominant two-way or dominant two-position player for for very good Patriots defensive teams, he still isn't in the Hall of Fame, which is ridiculous. There's no right. way he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, he doesn't have the All-Pro and Pro Bowl accolades the way that he should. Hayward is going to add to those, and Hayward's going to be kind of the benefactor of the the attention I think that Seymour generated for not being the Warren Sapp defensive tackle and not being the of course, can't think of a dominant edge rusher from from that day. Um, this is wrong, but Joey Porter, you know, players like that that, that got a lot of accolades, that, that racked up sacks, that got highlights. Um, they're the ones that won Pro Bowls, all pros. Uh, that process is a, has diversified to the point where they're they're able to to acknowledge 
uh, players like Hayward who are playing two different spots and doing it, it at a high level in both of them. So he really is kind of collecting multiple all pro uh, uh, awards, which he will this year as well. I think people are going to recognize him more um, if the Steelers were to put together a, an outstanding run of high level defensive play. The fact that they are where they are right now is absolutely remarkable. And that's how good Cam Hayward is. Watt missed a game and has been playing kind of on a bulky groin for, for you know, all but four quarters of the season to this point. Alex Highsmith is the defensive end op- or the, the outside linebacker opposite uh, TJ Watt. He's a good young player. Uh, he's not Watt and he's not Hayward, but he, he's pretty good. Outside of that, like I said, you, Isaiah Bugs, who, you know, nobody knows who that is. Chris Wormley has done a pretty good job, but it's not like he's a, a dominant snap-to-snap player. You're not getting great play out of the inside linebackers in Pittsburgh. Devin Bush is, is supposed to be a lot better than he is. He's coming off of injury as well, so there, there's a, a kind of a, a process involved with that. I don't think that Joe Schobert has really you know lived up to what you, you kind of hoped he would be in Pittsburgh. Minka Fitzpatrick is not playing well this season. You're getting decent play out of their secondary, but all in all – it, it, the the product on the field minus Hayward is not nearly as good as what you think the hype would be uh, for, for the Steelers defense. Hayward in there though, makes them a unit that's allowing, I think something like 21 points a game. Um, and one that just shut the Browns rushing attack completely down. They, they had half of their yearly total just last week. Hayward is doing that a large part on his own. And I, I hope he, he continues to get more recognition uh, for what he's doing. And I think that he will. I think Bears fans have a good sense of that when they got a player pretty similar in Akeem Hicks. So um, I think they can appreciate where you're coming from there. But we're going to move to the speed round, which we've been introducing this year, which we, we're we enjoying quite a bit because these are a little more lighthearted, a little more fun, and we can go uh, tangential to football. But first one, Steelers are going to be wearing their color rush uniforms this Monday. Is that their best kit? I would say no. Give me the bumblebees. Um, oh, okay. Here, oh. The, the, the Defend trick, yourself, sir. The trick to that, though, is they don't wear those anymore. So I don't know if that counts. But here's the thing it's like I, I grew up, as I said, I grew up in, in Minnesota. Okay. I'm a big Twins fan. The Metrodome was the most god awful, decrepit stadium we've ever been to. True. But I was in tears when they blew it up because it was our decrepit, awful mess, you know? <laughs> The, the the bumblebee uniforms when pittsburgh first introduced those they had uh then running back um oh my god i forgot his name isaac redmond who's not the the trim kind of guy uh out wearing these ridiculous looking things the, the, these charlie brown jerseys with these weird tan pants and he looked soft he looked pudgy it wasn't a good look for anybody and all of us mocked and ridiculed and we made fun of it up and down. Then they played them in primetime games, usually against like the Ravens or, you know, big competitive games with big audiences. And they won those games. There are a lot of highlights (laughs) in those games. One of the best, I don't think there are more than maybe two games that I've ever seen a quarterback play better than Ben Roethlisberger did in the Bumblebees against the Colts back in 2014. 522 yards, six touchdowns. He destroyed the, you know, he had like 40 completions and like nine incompletions or something like that. Just a ridiculous game wearing the Bumblebees. They beat the Ravens without Ben in a game wearing the Bumblebees. It got to a point where it just, it became ours. You know, it's like, we know how stupid this looks. We know that everyone else laughs, laughs about it. We're fired up whenever they wear them. This is, this is prime time, you know, viewership now. We want to, to root for this team even harder when they're wearing these stupid jerseys. So for me, I would say those. But if not, the 70s throwbacks are absolutely golden. I wish they'd go back to gray face masks, to be honest. There you go. There's your, there's your take from the speed round. So another uniform-related question in speed round. Why do the Steelers only have the logo on one side of the helmet? It was initially a test. I went over, I know that, but I'm not sure how we are on articles. They, they, uh, I'll keep this one short, I promise. Um, the owner then, Art Rooney, wasn't sure if he liked it. it. It's the old U.S. Steel logo, and their marketing mm-hmm. people went and found it, got permission to use it. Rooney wasn't sure if people would like him. So he said, only put it on the right side. So they did, and it turns out people really liked him, and Rooney just said, you know what, just keep them. It, it, it was as simple as that. It's the, the dumbest thing in the world, but they just never changed it. So... 
Um, to be honest with you, I don't even notice it anymore. I, I read that on here. And I was like, wow, I haven't thought about that in a couple of years. But yeah, it, it's it's a it's a very Pittsburgh story. You know, I, I think that that's uh, that's part of the appeal. It, it's it's goofy. It's stupid. It, it's far. It, it looks like there would be a big reason behind it, but there's not. I mean, it really is just kind of like we tried it. You know, and either way, it just really kind of suggests that Art Rooney never liked the logo at all. You know, it's kind of his is I'm in charge. No, we're not putting it on both sides. We're just going to keep it here because I'm bitter that I'm not getting my way. It, it, that's always what it, it's kind of seemed to me, uh, which is funny. It, it's colloquial and that that's kind of a, a, a Pittsburgh type of type of story type of thing. I'll have to think about this, but the AFC North has the Ravens have a, a logo on both sides. The, I'm surprised they haven't copied that. The <laughs> <laughs> Ravens are wannabe Steelers, and they know it. The Bengals don't have a logo; they just have the they have the stripes all over the helmet. And then you have the Browns that don't have a logo at either side, and the, the Steelers only have one. So, like of of eight possible sides of helmets, the AFC North only has three logos. Anyway, all right. Uh, never thought about that before either, but I was like, wait, what? Okay, nineteen forty three. A little history here. The Steelers, because of World War II, the Steelers and the Eagles combined forces and were known as the Steagles. Of course, in 1944, they combined with the Cardinals and they were known as Card Pit or Carpet. Um, they finished 5 4 and 1 as the Steagles, which is a pretty good mark. Do you believe that the cities of Pittsburgh and Philly could come together in the modern day to do such a thing and coexist? Um, no, I, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Um, I love that. They, no. they, they, there's a there's definitely a, a weird rivalry between them. But the thing is, it's not in football. It's in hockey, probably more than anything. Flyers and Penguins fans do they they don't get along particularly well at all. Um, they've they've completely eschewed the the love of the the Stiggles from back in the day. I'm trying to do my best Pittsburghese accent. The Stiggles. Um, People will talk about that. They'll bring it up. And I, I think it's more just because the concept is so bizarre. That this is what they did back then. If you ever want to jump down a rabbit hole sometime, look into to how businesses within the NFL operated in the in the, the 40s and 50s. It's, un, oh my God, it's just an absolute joke compared to what it would be today. Even, even through to the 70s. I mean, it, they, the league... It was a laughing stock for so long, and frankly, the Steelers were were tip of the spear of that. They didn't do anything for thirty years after Rooney bought them. It wasn't until basically they said, "Look, Art, we love you. Just sit down over there, okay? We're we're going to do this now." Uh, the, the Steelers didn't do anything, and part of it was um, the, the the merger with the the Eagles. Um, it wasn't even it, it wasn't even necessarily because of World War II. They at one point they traded franchises. I, I remember that in in, in reading on uh, the history of the team, they swapped out rosters basically. And at, at a point in there as well, the Steelers who used to be called the Pirates had changed their name. But Art Rooney was he's kind of a riverboat gambler, wheeler and dealer type of guy. And there there were all kinds of little things like this. And the, the shared roster to kind of put everything together, um, it was crazy because that was like the only time a, a Steelers related team was good for the first 12, 13 <laughs> years of its franchise. So people loved it. They thought it was great. You know, we, the Western Pennsylvania football itch is, is, you know, alive and well. If you had to do it today, we, we know it wouldn't happen, but let's just go, go whole log here. Theoretical. Which team would you most want to combine forces with to create a combined team these days, either for, the cool name or for football reasons like good offense and a good defense. And if I pasted them together, which, which two would you hybridize today? Oh, I, it would have to be the Steelers and I'm keeping the name. Um, best name, best logo, best uniforms. I'm not a Homer at all. Don't worry. Yeah, no kidding. Jeez. Um, I was about ready to fight here. <laughs> if, if I was putting any team with the Steelers today, this is the non-fun answer. And I hate, I hate giving the non-fun answer. I just can't, think of name combinations uh, quick enough of who I would want. That's probably the route I would go. But um, roster wise, I mean, you know, I'd really like, I mean, you guys are going to love this. I'd love to have Trevor Lawrence on my team. Watched him play a couple times. Um, I think he might be pretty good. I, I wouldn't mind combining with Jacksonville just because it, it, to, to prove the point as well, when you put two pro rosters together 
and you have that many pros competing for these spots, you're going to have a damn good team. You know, sure. you're, you're going to be way deeper than everybody else in the league. And it makes sense why you would be. Um, and you would be bottom, the Staguars. The Staguars. And honestly, the, the, the Jags might want to, like, dissolve and combine teams at this point, right? Like, yeah, they might yeah. be into that. That's, I'm, I'm banking on that because now oh. I, don't, I don't need to put up with the legacy junk from, from Jacksonville. Nobody cares about Jacksonville. Come on. I've, They've beat I've us got in the playoffs it, too many times for me to give you've, them any respect. You've already got an open side on the helmet, and they're both black. Winner. Okay, Steelers so I can put another, side, I can put another Jaguar head on the other. You know who I would put on the other side? Probably be Chicago. I, I think Chicago has – I'm a purist. I love – like I, I yell at Browns fans about this all the time. I hate the Browns uh, – brown on orange color scheme. It drives me nuts. I want their homes back – Brown and white. Those jerseys are the best in the league, in my opinion. Absolutely love the way that that looks. With the white pants, and I can deal with the orange stripe down the side, but white the, the white pants with the brown home jerseys, purity. Chicago does that on par with anybody else in the league, in my opinion, including my own team. It, it's solid. It's a great home look. It, it's classic. You have to let Walter Payton wore that jersey. Why would you not want to wear that on a daily basis? The, the new stuff doesn't do well for me. So if, if I'm going to do all of that, the, the uniform is going to be a big reason for me. And I think Chicago probably does that as well as anybody else. And plus, I think we can find a, a way to get Justin Fields on the on the field for us. They're going to need him <laughs> soon. Um, all right. So last one. So the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, which I found out was a thing today when I made this agenda, <laughs> they officially came out against using ketchup on a hot dog. If you are an adult person in this country, if you are a kid, they are fine with it. They don't care. But if you are 18 years of age or older, they came out against this. This is a long time argument for Chicagoans that ketchup does not have a place on a hot dog. Heinz ketchup originated in Pittsburgh. And of course, the Steelers play their games in Heinz Field. So ketchup on your hot dog or not? <laughs> I have to say yes. Um, oh, yes. I'll give, you, I'll give you this, though. I respect the hell out of Italian cuisine. I the, the, the many times I've been to Chicago, I've never gone there and, and not enjoyed any food that I've ever had. I love the culture. Um, I am the fattest thin guy you've ever met. I, I eat like a, a truck driver who's been held hostage for two years. I love going to Chicago. I love Italian beef. I love sausage. I put ketchup on stuff. I get that that's not local. I can get away with putting tomatoes on it. And that's fine. If it's going to be like an issue with people, that's fine. But to me, ketchup and mustard should be on a hot dog. Um, brats are probably more of my thing. Um, Italian sausage, it, it's the same to me. Uh, ketchup and, and mustard, if I can have that. I love it. Ke ketchup for me, for the record, only on fries, but you, whatever, man. Like, it's either fair. you, you know, fair, yeah. I just I, I, I had to ask the question and I, I, I've had a feeling that you were you were going to go that direction. So I'm, you, I'm you honestly think I could say on this show it, as representing Pittsburgh that I don't eat ketchup? That's why I, I eat ketchup. I eat ketchup like crazy. I'm not even kidding you. My I, I, I'm with my daughter. She's set, eight years old, and we've gone through like two thirds of a bottle of ketchup in like a week and a half. I was just thinking that before I came. I'm like, how do we even do this? I don't even know where it goes, but we eat ketchup with everything. I can't be good. I'm not sure, but we, I I love ketchup. I've always loved ketchup. Well, there you go. If you're a Steelers fan, it's a good thing because, hey, they're the sponsor of your stadium and everything else. But, <laughs> Neil, we can't thank you enough for coming on, previewing the Steelers game, giving Chicago fans something to look forward to in terms of watching the other side of the ball. All great. Thanks for sharing your knowledge. Great to have you on. Definitely. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Neil. All right, AJ, we're back. So let's let's just talk about the Bears specifically for this game. It's it's going to be a tough one because honestly, it kind of sounds like they're playing themselves. It looks like we might be into a house of mirrors here. But one of the things that I want we focus a lot on the the uh, recap show, the Bear and Balance show with Lester about Justin Fields, as we should have because he had a really nice game, uh, ran the ball a lot, a lot of play action. It was nice. I don't know if that was because Matt Nagy was sitting at home because of COVID or what happened, but they actually, maybe they listened to the show and they, they finally heard the message. We'll take it, right? So let's just focus on fields and what we think he needs to do against, you know, again, he, 
Neil, for all the the love that I thought Pittsburgh fans had for TJ Watt, was like, yeah, T- yeah, TJ Watt's a nice player. I was like, holy crap, okay, he's pretty damn good. But he really wanted to talk about Cam Hayward, which we were setting him up to do. That's two really good defensive linemen that the Bears offensive line is going to have to deal with. And obviously Justin Fields is going to have to deal with. So how do how do the Bears deal with that front? They're going to have to run the ball. And I know that's going to drive analytics folks over the edge. And it is against all conventional wisdom in the modern NFL. Currently, though, it's what the Bears line is good at. And this reminds me a little bit of Neil's description of why they drafted Najee Harris. Sometimes you just need a guy in the spot that makes a play. Sometimes you just have to run the ball because your offensive line looks like two different offensive lines. When they run the ball, they're good. They put up 124 yards versus Tampa. Like Khalil Herbert has been ripping off gains that, you know, you can look at zero in a passing play on average, or you can look at six or seven yards that Khalil Herbert's ripping off when the line gets to fire out and run block. They're going to have to run block. It's what they're good at. And it's what's causing positive, productive plays to happen. We know if they string those plays together, yes, they're going to have to play the pass, but those running plays are going to set up play action. Play action, one of the things that really sort of ignited fields and the sort of backside for those that like the game within the game. Chicago got creative on the blocking, right? For those play action passes and rollouts, they pulled tight ends to the opposite side for wham blocks. They did some things that they hadn't done in previous weeks to keep Justin Fields upright, which, you know, you're going to get nothing but celebration from me on those plays because it's saying, hey, we realize we have a problem, but the run is going to set up some positive plays because Khalil Herbert's been playing well. It's going to set up play action and make those gaps just a little bit bigger. And with that creative blocking that they threw in there, I think they really are going to have to run the ball because if they just drop back 50 times in a game and let those guys tee off on the offensive lineman, it's not going to go well for Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. Flip it around the other side. Uh, the pass rush largely has disappeared the last two games because Khalil Mack was hurt and then Khalil Mack missed the last game. I don't know if Khalil Mack is going to play Monday night. Again, we're recording this on Monday. We don't know exactly where he's at with his injury. They did make a uh, roster move that maybe indicated Mack might be coming back, but that's really tough to read the tea leaves this early in the week. And they get the extra day because it's a Monday game. If Mack's in there, that really makes a difference. But if not, they have to be more creative than they were in the last two weeks to try to to manufacture a rush because you don't have that world-beating force of Mac on the edge. Um, if you don't have that world-beating force of Mac on the edge, I should say, then you have to get creative and you have to find ways to create a rush because Ben Roethlisberger is going to get the ball out fast. But if he doesn't and you can get in his face, he will make mistakes. Roethlisberger is not immune to turning the ball over. Neil mentioned it as well. And he's a guy that <clears throat> at this stage in his career – Probably doesn't want to take too many more hits. He's taking a lot of punishment. So maybe you can get into his head early and he'll start to make bad decisions. I hope so. We've said this all year that this defense is a bit of a house of cards and it has not looked like that because the rush has largely been effective through most of the season, not the past two weeks. The weeks before that was very effective. They were getting a lot of pressures. They were generating a lot of short times to throw and really protecting that secondary that we know is weak. Last week, you saw what happens when the pass rush doesn't get home. They weren't able to generate pressure. They didn't make adjustments. And the defense fell apart, not just at at the line of scrimmage, but on every level. Like, it was cascading failure. It just showed that this defense, the defensive line pass rush is the straw that stirs Chicago's drink. And if it goes away, the drink goes still. Other quarterbacks can stand flat-footed and do whatever they want. And as reduced as he is in capacity, if you let Ben Roethlisberger, who is a heady quarterback, stand flat-footed and survey the receivers, secondary is not going to be able to keep up. He's going to make some gains against that. So I'm with you that pass rush has to occur or else you're going to see all the warts laid open again, and they're probably not going to win the game. Yeah, Roethlisberger is smart enough to throw at 20 and at 22 and away from 33, right? He's been in the league long enough to know those things. I thought it was interesting that Neil called it John Wayne, like when he gets John Wayne and he wants to take down somebody. I I don't know enough about Steelers football to know that like 
he maybe has a history of trying to go after a good corner or something. I it doesn't seem like that's where Ben's at in his career right now. Like he doesn't seem like he's he trusts his arm enough to try to challenge uh, Jalen Johnson. So it'll be really interesting to see what Chicago does. Like is is this is Sean Desai going to have Johnson travel with Deontay Johnson or Chase Claypool to try to take away one of those guys, or is he going to get creative and move them around? Like what is he going to do to try to counteract? what are two good wide receivers. And and I know that the numbers aren't great for Claypool so far this year, but we know that we've seen Claypool make big plays since, you know, since he got into the league last year, but I do want to make a point, And, you know, we talked about this before about takeaways and you kind of ran some numbers and, and figure out where they're at. And overall, you know, this is a three and five team that's playing turnover differential, like a three and five team. And that that's what it looks like. And, and that has to change on both sides of the ball, obviously, because it's a differential uh, calculation, but definitely needs to change on the defense. I think the defense needs to re-up or re-emphasize the urgency on this. And we've seen this league-wide. We've seen even some penalties. And I really do think that defensive coordinators are embracing, you can call it analytics or whatever else, the idea of how do we counter this big play explosive pass offense, right? And the answer is we've got a couple – we've got to cut a couple of their drives short. Now, normally you would do that by three and out and you can still do that, but that's sort of earning it. The sort of freebie pass, you know, pass, go collect $200 without having to do a 13 play drive and grind them into a field goal is punch it out, right? Uh, Pop it up. You know, those are harder to complete the sort of tip drill, but we have seen, I, I don't know. I've just seen a lot of players who are hammering at the ball, a lot of teams, you can tell their defensive coordinators are emphasizing this. They're definitely drilling it. You're getting multiple players hammering at the ball. Um, on the Monday night game, you're getting players holding players up while other players came in to punch at the ball. It it seems that it's got a renewed emphasis because it's a way for the defense to earn a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? They, they hand the ball back. Their offense gets one more possession. The opposing the opposing team gets one less. Um, the Bears, I'm sure, are talking about that, but they're not acting on that. We're not seeing it, and the numbers bear that out. They're in a three-way tie for 19th in takeaways. So if we're talking purely about that defensive side of the, of the turnover differential discussion, they're averaging one a game, right? That's tied for 19th with two other teams. Uh, they're 21st overall in turnover differential at negative three. Not terrible, but not great. And again, it's a way for this team that is defensively undermanned. There isn't another way to put that to sort of use it as a force multiplier and say, we can gain a little bit of leverage here. We can get our guys off the field. We can keep them rested a little bit more. We can keep them from being exposed by being out in those long 12, 13, 15 play drives. And we can give Justin Fields one more bite at the apple, right? And they need to find a way to do it. They need to get a renewed emphasis on whatever they can do to generate those. Because you hear the players talk about them. You hear Eddie Jackson saying, oh, anybody could tackle, but you know the, the real ones turn the ball over. Yeah, well, you're not. All of you as a unit are not turning the ball over. You're, you're negative overall, and you're averaging just one a game, which is down near 20th, you know, bottom third of the league. So I think the bears have to kind of pull that trump card out because there's there's not a superhero solution in terms of personnel somebody coming back off ir um the schedule's not particularly soft for the rest of the year there just aren't a lot of other sort of easy outs and it's one you can kind of say hey we're going to do 15 minutes of punch drills every day in practice you will get the ball out we're going to incentivize getting the ball out and just re-emphasizing that so that they can maybe flip the field a couple times because they're going to need to. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I don't, it's hard to say the future of football because that's a fundamental part of football is trying to take away the ball. But you look at like turnovers, like in the history of the game, they were so much higher, right? Because football was different shaped. It was harder to throw and it was harder to carry. And, and there wasn't as much of an emphasis and, you know, the rules really kind of benefited the the defense and in, in certain in terms of like protecting the middle of the field so so passing game was like downfield so it was a little bit more risky and you'd have a lot more interceptions like there were a lot more turnovers back in the day and the rule changes and offensive efficient efficiency and west coast offense you know with the short passing game and all these things kind of continue to send this trend downward of, of fewer and fewer uh turnovers but 
the future of football to me is like finding ways to get those things and stealing possessions. It's all about stealing possessions. You can do that with sacks. A lot of times a sack will kill a drive or at least it'll get you closer to doing so. Um, and so I think that there's a definitely some sort of emphasis on that, but really like you, you have to find ways to steal possessions, particularly if you're the underdog and that's what they're going to need to do. They're going to need to get creative and they need to find ways to, to manufacture a pass rush. They're going to need to find a way, find ways to be creative on offense. Maybe they, pull out a trick play. Maybe they have something that's under their hat and they need to start using those things. They need to find a way to level the playing field. Um, otherwise, I, the, the Steelers are at home. They're a solid team. I don't think they're that good. Um, I know they're four and three and the Bears are three and five and they're a, I don't know, five and a half point uh, favorite or six and a half, whatever it is at this point. They're not that. I, I it just I can't get there and say Ben Roethlisberger at this stage in his career is that much better of a team. But they're well coached. They're gonna they're gonna know what the Bears can and can't do. They're gonna hammer on the things that the Bears can't do well and prove, make the Bears prove that they can beat them or or make adjustments. Um, Mike Tomlin's one of the best coaches in the league, and he's gonna find a way to to put the Bears in a bad position and play left handed. So I don't know. Like I have no idea where this one's gonna go. It's it's prime time. It's I'm sorry to America for subjecting <laughs> <laughs> your eyes to the Bears and the Steelers. Um, at this form, it might set football back 20 years, but that's what we got. So any final thoughts before we kind of talk about the beers and wrap up? No, I would agree with you. And and just to follow up on that point about it's about explosive plays and it doesn't matter whether it's offensive explosive plays or defensive explosive plays. And that, that gets in the sacks, the force fumbles. Um, you know, it, honestly, if you can create a loss of downs on a penalty, right. If you can draw a holding penalty, that's 10 extra yards. If you can do that on second or third down, that's a very difficult hole for most offenses to dig themselves out of. Not a lot of plays in the playbook for second and 20 or third and 20. Um, so it's all about explosive plays and sort of managing those on both sides, limiting them and trying to create as many as you can, no matter which units on the field. And it feels like that onus has really gone to offensive defense. Again, with the rule changes away from special teams, they're de-emphasizing kickoffs, um, punt returns for any amount of yards or way down. And you're just going to have to find the ways to grab a couple of plays a game because that's the difference. There are a lot of close games. I think you're right. This is a close game. You look at the records. I'm not so big on the point spread. It, this game could easily go either way. It feels like a fairly equal tilt in a lot of ways, but it's going to come down to, therefore, just a few plays, which are probably going to be made by just a few inches. It's a very, there's a lot of parity in the league and that's the difference. So if you come up with one or two of those explosive plays on either side of the ball, you're going to tilt the odds in your favor and that's going to keep you in the game till the end, which is honestly what Chicago should be rooting for at this place in their development cycle as a team and, and this particular season. So if you don't make them, you're probably not going to win the game. You might if Justin Fields puts on the cape again and, and makes you a couple of those plays all on his own, like he did last week, but otherwise everybody else is going to have to get into the act. You can't count on that for a win. Not yet. <clears throat> Not yet. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll start counting on that later. All right, let's get back to the beers here. Uh, this is Lake time brewery. It is the peanut butter banana stout. Uh, I picked this up because I knew EJ would laugh and it's fine. I would like it to punch me in the face a little bit more. Um, it's, uh, it's a little bit more subtle than I would prefer. I would like to taste a little bit more peanut butter. And I would like to taste actually a lot more of the banana flavor, which I, I think is there, but not nearly as pronounced as I would like it to be. What about you? I would, I would say that makes you odd that you want more banana flavor in your beer. But the peanut butter, I agree with you. I, I had the peanut butter beer um, a couple of episodes ago. Uh, from Lucky Envelope Brewing here in Seattle. And I love the beer overall, if listeners remember, but I somebody asked me, do you taste a lot of the peanut butter? And I was like, no, I think it's just a hard flavor to translate to beer. It's You're not going to get like a big peanut or peanut butter flavor. Um, the banana flavor I could deal with less of, you could deal with more of. Ah, that's neither here nor there. But this is Harveston Brewing uh, out of Scotland. Old engine oil, great picture of a little old car on the can. Um, it's a black ale. I am a sucker for a black ale. Now, there was a big debate several years ago in the beer world. They were calling them black IPAs, and that was a misnomer because they weren't India pale ales. They were just pale ales. So um, black ales, one of my favorite 
It's very nicely balanced on the alcohol. It lives up to the viscous, chocolatey, and roasty. It's basically somewhere between a porter and a stout, but it's got the cleanness of an ale on the back end. And I personally love that combination. Would highly recommend this to anybody that likes that style. It's lovely stuff. A um, little bit difficult to find in the States. I found it at kind of a specialty beer store. Um, again, imported from the UK. But if you can get your hands on it, um, I love it. It says it won Best Porter. Not sure at which contest in 2010. Um, good stuff, and I can see why. Um, and and there's a little pun on the top, which says Beer Ingenuity. Ooh, wow. <laughs> which is, you know, come on. If you like dad jokes, it's fantastic. So I think it's a winner. Uh, I'm glad I got a couple more in the fridge. Always nice when they put a beer award for like over 10 years old. It's like the past blue ribbon, right? It's like yeah, 130 <laughs> years ago they won an award. And it's like, hey, man, we're still we're, bragging about we're that. We're sticking to it. It's on the wall. All right. So we're going to get out of here. So here's the thing. Uh, we post these on YouTube. This one will be on YouTube. If you're not watching it on YouTube already, um, you should know that, that those things happen. Go to our YouTube page. Subscribe. That helps us out. Put a like. Put a comment. That'd be great. Also... Next week's a bye week. And so we will probably be taking a bye week or maybe doing something different. Uh, but don't necessarily expect us to be back in this space next week because podcasters need bye weeks too. Yes, they so, do. Just know that, that that might be coming. Um, otherwise, a couple articles on the website that I've written. Obviously, uh, great staff at Winnie City Ground are putting out great stuff every week. Make sure that you're hitting that up. What's going on with you? Uh, bootleg football podcast should be out by the time uh everybody gets this on friday uh it's a week eight recap uh week nine preview combo and uh bootleg shot of the week all the regular fun there um that's pretty much it i don't think i have any other appearances lined up i am sort of leaning into the bye week a little bit uh because yeah a mid-season break is an excellent thing but can't thank everybody enough for following along uh hopping on youtube reading the stuff on Windy City Gridiron, uh, interacting with us on Twitter, always fun. Uh, appreciate all the support, the suggestions, and the ideas. Love rolling them in. Um, hope you like all the guests. Tell us if you do. Tell us if you don't. Um, we're just going to keep bringing them on for this season. Uh, we think they add a lot to the preview shows, and we hope you think so too. Yeah, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you later. Bear down. Bear down.